This is Tech Talks Money, TechEU's fintech-focused podcast. My name is John Reynolds, the host. This week we are joined by Yorick Nerf, the CEO and co-founder of the Dutch neo-broker Bux. Uh, it's great that you can join us, Yorick. We're thrilled to have you on. Um, so thanks for taking t- t- time out to speak to us. So I guess many people who are listening will know about Bux. But for, for those that don't, can you just give us an overview of both books and your career today? And I hope I've not mangled my pronunciation of your surname too. <laughs> it's, a, it's a difficult uh, uh, surname to pronounce. First of all, John, thank you for having me. Uh, really appreciate the, uh, the time that uh, you're, you're spending to, to talk to me and, and, and ask me the questions that you like. And I hope, of course, we're going to make it a very interesting podcast for everybody. Um, yeah, a little bit of uh, uh, some some background. Uh, Bucks is uh, one of the fastest growing neo brokerage firms in in Europe. Um, so we have um, almost a million customers, and 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 mostly focused in on the uh, northern Western European area. So mostly Netherlands, Belgium, Germany is a large market for us as well. Uh, we really try to um, remove the hurdles for people that have a latent interest in investing to start investing by making it really intuitive, uh, accessible, and 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 uh, also affordable for everyone to start their investment journey. Uh, we do it mobile first, uh, and 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 based on that, we we basically launched uh, our flagship application in 2019, and, and that's been uh, quite a success. Uh, obviously, in the past uh, past few years, uh, really trying to make uh, it, uh, it, it, it well, removing the hurdles for people to start that investment journey and start building wealth uh, for the future. Um, my background, uh, I've got a background in banking, actually, um, retail investment banking mostly. Uh, worked for ING for years, was a strategy consultant as well uh, in the past, uh, working with the likes of like BCG, McKinsey, uh, and then before. I joined Bucks. I was in the uh, management team of the corporate strategy of ING, working together with, um, with, for example, Ralph Hammers to really focus on the digital digital journey that ING as a bank went through. Um, And and in 2014, we founded Bucks. Uh, I joined as COO at Bucks Mm -hmm. and then um, took over the helm uh, from uh, the previous CEO and founder uh, in uh, 2020, early 2021. Okay, that's very comprehensive. So you mentioned, I think, nearly a million customers. And what's the size of the the books team? And how many? You mentioned some of the markets. How many? So you you're in Europe then. How how many mark? You know how many markets you're in in Europe? Yeah, in eight eight countries. Uh, okay. So we we started in the Netherlands. We're also a Dutch based firm. So our head our headquarters is in is in Amsterdam. Uh, but we have an office in uh, in London as well. We hold an FCA license there, and we have an office in uh, Cyprus as well with the SISEC license. But uh, apart from that, we we are fo- focused really on the, the larger European countries, so Netherlands, Belgium, Germany, Austria, France, Spain, Italy, and Ireland. Okay. I guess if I was an American tech journalist, I could perhaps compare you as, uh, say, you were kind of the Robin Hood of, of Europe. Would that be a... <laughs> a, a nice comparison. Would you like that, or, or do you think that's kind of bigging books up a bit too much? Or? Well, look, uh, Robinhood has been uh, able to democratize uh, the investment space as well, right? And, which is something that that is definitely comparable to us. I do think that Europe is a little bit of a different animal. 
uh, and therefore our value proposition is slightly different. So if you compare us to a type of Robinhood, I think we're a little bit more focused on uh, building wealth and, and longer term investments in comparison to, um, to Robinhood, which is a little bit more focused on, on the trading part, I would say. Um, and that's also that's, that's only because the European mindset with regards to investing is a little bit different mm. still than, than the mindset in the, in the U.S. Okay, we, we'll go on to talk about that. That's very interesting. So you've obviously had some uh, big news over this past 12 months. And uh, the reason I got in contact with you is you, you put a bl- uh, blog post on, on LinkedIn kind of documenting what's been happening over, 12, over the last 12 months and, and some of the changes we might um, expect to see going forward. Now, obviously, the biggest change or the biggest thing that's happened, which might have caught people unawares, was you were acquired in December by ABN uh, AMRO, the Dutch uh, financial services giant. So as I say to some, this might have come a bit out of the blue. Can, can you talk a, a bit about that and kind of the pathway and, and how that came about then, Europe, please. Yeah, sure. So, look, um, in the end, we, we, we had uh, ABN AMRO Ventures on our uh, cap table ready for a while. So they're, of course, a shareholder of, uh, of the company. Um, and look, in the end, I think we, we always have had um, some of the conversations that I've had have hit the media, unfortunately. And um, But I think it's very healthy for any CEO to, to keep uh, discussing opportunities and, and see if there's any synergy that we can accomplish. Uh, and, and these same conversations have been had with, with Abin Emerald Bank as well. Um, at some point, they, these discussions became a little bit more concrete. And, and the reason being is that, you know, we, we've been quite successful, I believe, in, in targeting a new generation um, so Gen Z, millennials, early stage investors like that really want to have a latent interest in investing. They can come on board and we've, we've grown quite massively and have always been a very uh, much an, an innovator in the space. And obviously yeah, that, that is often a part where, where a more traditional a corporate bank that's large, like an oil tanker, uh, like ABN AMRO is, is, is lacking. And I think uh, there was therefore a, a genuine interest. And, and so we started uh, discussing uh, opportunities around the summer um, last year. And, and at some point, these things became more concrete. And, and then you start at some point a process. Um, and to be fair, uh, we were enthusiastic about the, the collaboration and the synergies that we can accomplish together. Uh, and there were already parts of the organization that, that were using services from ABNMRO Clearing Bank, another subsidiary of ABNMRO Bank, um, like custody services <clears throat> and uh, banking as a service uh, solutions. And therefore, you know, it, it made sense. Um, and, and to combine forces with a large financial institution that has a strong reputation, especially in the investment and wealth space, together with a firm that is, of course, also focused on the investment space, but a real innovator in the space. If you do that right, then there's a lot to accomplish. And and especially if you look at our vision, uh, our vision is really to become the leading neo broker in, in Europe. We believe that this collaboration uh, and also this acquisition, therefore, can really uh, accelerate that uh, achieving that vision. Okay, that's really interesting. So, as you said, um, ABNN is a, an early investor in books, and you've got, um, as you alluded to, this technology partnership uh, with them. So, you've got kind of uh, long-standing ties, and then so it was you, you kind of held discussions from the summer of last year about a potential acquisition and I presume I mean did you look at other kind of 
strategic partnerships or were you always head, heading down the acquisition route and it took kind of six months to, to finally get it over the line? Is that fair to say? Well, yes, that is fair to say. Look, to answer that question, look, I, like I said, I've, I've always... Uh, it's, it is my responsibility, effectively, to look for opportunities, right, that, that are best for the firm. Um, and you have to look at different types of stakeholders in that regard. So you take a look at your clients, you take a look at, uh, of course, the partners that we have, you take a look at the shareholders, uh, regulators, all these types of things need to take taken into account. And I think in the end, uh, um, yeah, it was a, and we were able to accomplish during the summer discussions, effectively, a approach where we believed that that it would benefit by far most of the stakeholders. And 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 once you get people enthusiastic, uh, especially like shareholders and and, and other stakeholders that have a, a role to play in a business like this. Then all of a sudden things become come very concrete and, and things start to move quite quickly. And yes, then it takes, of course, a, a quite a long time to perform due diligence and, and negotiate, of course, everything down to the, the last penny. Um, but yeah, that, that was done in the last uh, six months indeed, so to say. And, and, and in December 2023, we were able to uh, agree on everything and, and sign the contract. Okay, that's great. I mean, in the press release, I think that were the expressions used along the lines of, oh, well, I do say uh, it will help books with long-term scaling and innovation. So I guess that would suggest to be perhaps moving into new mar- markets beyond Europe and, and um, new products. And I guess there will be plenty of investment moving forward from ABN. And can you can you just, I mean, is there any overlap in terms of your offering at the moment with what ABN offers and how, how will that kind of you know work out going forward yeah realistically we are still competitors and I think you know you, you we're going to stay competitors until closing uh, that's just uh, that's just a fact of, of life because they also offer investment services right so they have very basic mm-hmm. investment services as well so from that regard there is a type of similar service but the value proposition is significantly different, right? They don't have a, a mobile offering, uh, not a native mobile offering that is. Um, so it, it's it's already a little bit more, from that perspective, more traditional and sophisticated when you purely look also at the uh, the product offering in the segment that to which that product is being offered. So there is a little bit of a vacuum there, I would say, um, and and we are I think I think very well placed to to fill that that vacuum. Okay, that that's great. I mean, how I guess if 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 you were a critic, you would say critics would say that you were kind of, you know, did this great job of, of disrupting the system, bringing in a whole new kind of demographic of users to um, uh, to online trading, and then you've kind of become part of the the legacy system which you tried to disrupt. What what would you say to to a critic who, who said that you've kind of become part of the um, the system that you tried to disrupt? Yeah, yeah. So look, I I, I won't disagree with uh, any criticism there, right? And I'm very much aware of the pitfalls as well of becoming part of a larger corporate beast. Um, and I think it's it's up to me to 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 make sure that obviously we keep our innovative power and our agility. And there are different mm-hmm. ways to do that. I. I worked uh, in the past, like I said, I worked for ING, and there are also a few uh, very interesting pearls is at, that that ING owns uh, that and they've always been pulling 
uh, on these pearls to get them, you know, closer to the larger organization. And uh, I remember those discussions very, very well. And and the interesting thing is that I'm now on the other side of those discussions myself. Yeah. Uh, in the end, I need to safeguard, of course, uh, us being, you know, absorbed uh, and, and make sure that we keep operating on arm's length to keep our innovative power and keep our agility and, and make sure we can innovate very quickly and deploy new features very quickly and keep that 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 technology stack of course uh, you know separate from the, the old-fashioned more legacy systems that that a, a larger corporate would have and look, this is my this is going to be my job obviously for the for the foreseeable future right making sure that the organization is between brackets protected uh, mm-hmm. from 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 too much influence from from the the larger organization while of course at the same time and this is also something that I want to at least give back to these critics is that there are items where it completely makes sense to to have uh, a, a larger bank like ABN AMRO play a role in. Uh, think about the reputation, think about the, the knowledge and experience that they have in certain investment fields. Uh, think about safety and, and, and certain other safeguards that, that they have a lot of experience with. And last but not least, and it's also good to, to mention, obviously, ABN AMRO is... Uh, um, a, a, a large organization, but is very, very strong in the the, the private wealth segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so building bridges is also quite crucial, right? Because at some point, a customer becomes too, well, almost too sophisticated to keep just using this mobile application and thinks, well, I also want to have a more sophisticated platform where I can maybe even apply technical analysis or have a more sophisticated overview with statistics or very, you know, get access to very complex products. Um, and, and then obviously we want to make sure that that bridge is there so that there is a, a whole life cycle and a whole journey where a customer can across their entire life cycle in financial services can be served by a combination of Bucks and ABN Emerald. Okay, that's great. So, I mean, you talked there about protecting the brand and, and keeping ABN at arm's length. So, by the sounds of things, there's not going to be like a rebranding. Bucks will continue uh, to use that name. And um, I guess you'll, you'll be staying with the business and it will, um, you won't see kind of, you know, big wholesale changes, or, or some of the changes you just just the changes you alluded to there, which would you, you will say will benefit the business. Not in the foreseeable future. Okay. What you just explained is is entirely correct. Okay, and just the last point on this before we move on, there was obviously reports um, at the start of last year about a possible deal with the German neobank N twenty six. I mean, can you talk about how close did that come to to happen, and, and why it didn't? Yeah, it's. Um it's interesting that that has hit the media, and I think you know there's a lot of speculation and back and forth around what actually transpired there. The reality is, John, I I just can't share anything around this, uh, unfortunately. Okay, that's fine. Okay, so let's talk about the blog because there was other kind of big news which you mentioned uh, in the blog. I mean, I mean, I guess one of the interesting things you talked about the the market conditions at the moment and how it made um, operating environment more challenging for for a brokerage firm. I guess rising interest rates. Can you just talk a bit more broadly about that? And also, you highlighted your uh, landmark partnership with with BlackRock, the the finance heavyweight. So you've obviously launched investment plans together. Can you can you give us a bit of color, a bit of detail on that deal and how that can kind of uh, grow moving forward too? Yeah, 
Yeah, so, I mean, let's just break it down. There's two large questions, of course, you're asking. Um, the first question is around the uh, the market environment and how that has changed. Um, and the second question is on the partnership yeah. of BlackRock. Let's start with the first one. The the market environment, if you, you look at uh, what has changed, look, it's no s- secret, I think, that since February 2022, um, you know the, the the special capital markets and how people look at investing and especially like venture firms have significantly needed needed to change their 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 operating model and their value propositions um for the good and the bad um i think in the end um <clears throat> especially if you look at the retail investment space in particular um it was a very spoiled industry uh, this just me being realistic, right? Uh, we had, uh, of course, the pandemic where everybody started to invest uh, proactively. We had uh, the whole GameStop hype, um, and and that has brought a lot of people to the investment market, especially retail people. So, and um, it, that's not a surprise, by the way. And I think I want to be very clear on that. I, I've seen that that these these things already moving in that direction. I think, especially also if you look at Europe. There's been a move from more, um, yeah. How do you say that? Uh, compound interest type of approach and savings type of approach towards more an investment mindset, really driven by the newer generations. And these are just waves that that help people that have a latent interest in investing to get over the edge and actually start that journey. Um, so obviously, when 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 Russia invaded Ukraine around that time and the market started to to, to change and, and more in uncertainty started to creep in, mm-hmm. you saw that capital markets were being locked up a little bit more and especially venture capital was not easily to access anymore. And obviously, mm-hmm. we, we did around in April 2021, we were oversubscribed. So it was very easy to raise capital. And all of a sudden, there was this, this need towards moving to a profitability state, right? Mm-hmm. Becoming profitable ourselves while we were still in the middle of that growth phase. Now, And that is, of course, quite a disruptive change that you need to make as a company mm-hmm. because on the one side, you're really tailored towards growth, which means you have a large marketing team, large sales teams. You have, of course, uh, presence in multiple countries where you're really on the ground working hard to, to really get that brand off, um, uh, off, off, off and working. And in the end, that, that needed to change, right? So we also had to reorganize our firm significantly and, and we had to lay off some staff. Uh, we had to really change our, our pricing model. Uh, we had to also uh, change the, the backlog towards more uh, revenue-driving features while there were also some very interesting features, I think, that we wanted to develop that were not directly having an impact on the PL, but all of a sudden, of course, we, mm-hmm. we need to shift that. Uh, and and the, all those types of things, they, they, they make it very intense for an, an organization to all of a sudden su- shift uh, the, the entire uh, model in which you operate. So that's, that's one aspect that happened last year as well, because obviously that creeped into 2023 to a large extent as well. That even though it started, of course, in early 2022, the market changed, many of these things were implemented and actually executed in 2023. So that's one aspect. At the same time, you are correct. We also uh, uh, had a, uh, of course, we've been been discussing with BlackRock already what to do together for a long time. And the interesting thing is that BlackRock, that that wave that I mentioned earlier around retail becoming more prominently present 
uh, in the um, in the investment space. That is not something that that BlackRock was missed. Um, it was not missed by them, and they also see that there's now moving institutional flow more to retail flow because pension systems are changing. The overall interest in investing becomes larger for retail customers. ETF savings plans were really picking up pace. So, and especially in Europe, you saw that happening. So, with that shift, BlackRock also was looking for to strike more partnerships to see, okay. Where can we make sure that, that, that the distribution of, of the, the products that we manufacture, I think about ICS, ETS, for example, can have a more prominent presence? And how can we help in that? And that is something that uh, they've done very smart, I believe. So it's not just a partnership that they were, were making with us, but we are, of course, the leading neo broker in the Netherlands and in Belgium. And therefore, in those two countries, they didn't have another partnership with a neo broker that really offered a strong digital uh, investment product and that's uh, something that we did so we we basically started to work on on predefined etf savings plans uh, or etf investment plans um to to really bring that to uh, to the masses and and we launched in first instance we launched i believe six uh, or eight plans together and we're now looking at uh, at ways in which we can uh, can can yeah make that universe a little bit bigger. Okay, that's really well explained. Uh, obviously, as you mentioned, I've written a lot about um, fintechs looking to become profitable, but I've never heard it explained so kind of well and graphically as you did there. And that sounds as though that shift had a, a seismic kind of impact on on your business then, and that you had to pull back from potentially um, you know. Uh, uh, kind of uh, exciting um, products i mean is, is that that kind of shift to moving towards profitability that's kind of been the the biggest uh change the biggest impact on the on the book business books business since you, you since its inception i guess was it well yeah of course look i think in the end when you're a startup and you have product market fit uh and you can show that to the investment community then it's in that early stage uh, there is there's always capital to be found to to help you in your journey um, and therefore, you know, you, you, you've been going through a f- all kinds of phases where, you know, there's, there's different types of growth always applicable. And yes, you're right. Uh, since 2022, all of a sudden you had to focus on your, your, really your unit economics only. And, and really the, the loss of business all of a sudden started to play a more predominant role. Which I, but to, to be fair, I think it's, 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 it's fair, right? It's, it's a, a, a healthy thing to do. The only thing I wanted to say is that in our life cycle, it, it became quite early. We were still in the midst of, of growing really fast and, and deploying capital from, from new investors that we had on board. And, and yeah, if you are in that phase to make then the change towards profitability all of a sudden, it's quite drastic. And that's, that's not something that uh, people should underestimate, especially if you run a, a company. That being said, I do think that we've done an amazing job there, right? Our focus was to become profitable by the end of last year. Um, I haven't look. It's still early in January, but from the looks of it, that that's all looking very, very healthy. Um, so we've accomplished what we wanted to accomplish, and yes, it's it it, it means you have to make uh, sometimes aggressive decisions, um, which are not, yeah, okay. great for everybody. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, we've now established a very healthy business, and as a result, we have a, a tier one bank. 
um, yeah. uh, acquiring a large part of that business. And, and I think that is uh, something that is also showing that to the outside world, as well as to the inside uh, people here at Bucks, that you know we've all been doing a, a great job. And, and I'm, I'm proud of that. Yeah, as you should be. So, I mean, you mentioned aggressive decisions and you mentioned the job cuts. I mean, the report I saw was around 40% of the, the books business, the job cuts were. I mean, I don't know if that's, uh, well, I'll ask you if that's true or not. And yeah, one of the decisions. No, um, I, can, I can confirm that. That's roughly around correct, yeah. Okay, and you've exited, you've exited the UK market, have you? Because at the start of the interview, I think you said, well, you still have a presence there or, or not? No, not entirely. So we still operate a, um, a derivatives business in uh, London. So that's still active. Uh, it's, it's a diff- completely different type of business uh, in comparison to what, um, what the, the, the flagship application entails. So it's also out of scope from the, the deal with Abin Emro. Um, but it's a, it's a pure CFD and spread betting business uh, that's more focused on uh, sophisticated clients. It has a a, a, um, a web uh, desktop platform only, uh, so it's from that in perspective, it is already quite quite a bit more sophisticated than than just the more straightforward and and simple and accessible mobile applications that we have been running. So that's still active in the UK. Uh, but I am looking to see if if we can divest that uh, that business as well. Okay, so you're not doing your flagship uh, share trade and investment investment product any longer in the UK, though. No, no, no. Okay, well, I mean, so we, we have never been been live in the UK with that product, for the record. Oh. So uh, if you talk about exiting the UK, it's it's mostly mm-hmm. around the divestment that I'm looking to do in the UK. And yeah, you can say if if you divest an entity. A regulated entity in the UK, you are exiting the UK. That's entirely correct, uh, but it's not the case that uh, that our flagship or the, the the business that now it's now been acquired by Abin Emro has offered its services in the UK. Everything that we've done in the UK before was out of scope for that uh, transaction anyway. Okay, that's very well explained. Thank you. So the focus now is on ETFs and stocks, and you're no longer doing. Uh, crypto either. Uh, uh, can you talk a bit about that? I mean, that decision was made prior to the AB, ABN acquisition. No, no, no. That's, look, it's, it's, it's somehow linked, but in the end, look, this is our own responsibility and our own decision. Um, look, uh, if you look at offering investment services towards a newer generation, then there's always a little bit of a discussion point around crypto and what role crypto has to play. And on the one hand, uh, and I've been also very transparent around this always, is that I believe that that crypto is an asset class that's here to stay. Um, and the fact that uh, uh, the the Bitcoin ETFs have now been approved by the SEC in the U- in the US is, is is showing that it it is growing up and it's becoming a more sophisticated asset class. And in Europe, we've got Mika coming uh, very soon, and therefore it will become more of a regulated type of business. Uh, that being said, I think at the moment it's still early days. Um, it's still, well, let's say it's more in its early stages than I thought it would be before the whole FTX debacle started, right? I thought it was already a little bit more grown up. Um, I've been a little bit, well, I've been wrong there. Uh, it, it is still early days, and therefore there's still a lot of cleanup that needs to happen in the crypto space. And that's now exactly a part where uh, Abin Emro doesn't feel comfortable with. It, it, crypto falls completely outside their risk profile. And uh, crypto is therefore not part of the, 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 the acquisition. 
And then it's up to us to decide what to do with that. Um, are we going to continue crypto separately as just a crypto-only application somehow? Or are we also going to decide, well, crypto is also not something, crypto-only is not something that we're comfortable offering. And this has been a discussion, of course. So, and that's a separate discussion from the uh, the acquisition from ABN Emerald because they have nothing to do with that. It's, it's purely our decision in the end on what to do with, with crypto. And in the end, we decided to... Uh, to give clients the opportunity to migrate their cryptocurrencies to another third-party platform that we have a good partnership with to, to make sure they can continue their crypto journey there. Okay, uh, that was great. That's very well explained. So let's move on to, well, we're obviously in uh, 2024 now. And I mean, what, I mean, talking, I mean, I mentioned kind of uh, Robin Hood to start this uh, interview. And that, that Robin Hood's the kind of business that's, kind of grown into something um, completely different. They're, they're like, um, they're offering pensions and I think they've got a media business now. Do you see the kind of the future for pure play near brokers? Do you think that they'll all, or the ones that are about will kind of grow and morph into kind of big traditional financial services offering multiple players? Or do you think we'll still see a mix in the market of kind of nimble upstarts, uh, neo-brokers and, and, and legacy players? No, I think this is a, a third wave of uh, uh, brokers firms effectively uh, that are becoming more sustainable businesses. So, uh, right, you have yet, if you look back at the 70s in the US in particular, you had Charles Schwab's of this world, right? Um, that, that were at the early stages of, of investing where people needed to, uh, you know, if they wanted to invest, it's, it's still like with, with uh, actual uh, shares on paper and stuff like that. Um, and, and, and you could you could phone your broker, right, to, to buy some shares. Um, that is, that's the first wave. Now, the second wave was uh, in around well, the 2000s, let's say, where the more traditional, uh, now more traditional brokerage firms really started with online. Um, I think about the uh, Ameritrade E-Trades of this world and also in, in, in Europe, for example, we've got the, the uh, Hargreaves Lansdowne and, and, and mm-hmm. the, 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 the Bink Bank, Saxo Banks, uh, Flatex type of businesses in, like in Germany. And now you have a third wave. Um, where the, the, the Robin Hoods uh, and the boxes start to play a, a, a more predominant role, mobile only, mobile first. And in the end, I do think that uh, that we will all be established companies and, and there will be ancillary services being added to, to the, the, the offering for sure. Um, that's not just because... Um, you know, you just want to uh, cross-sell your customers or deep-sell your customers. It's also a, a welcome addition for customers to, to have these types of services, right? And, and I think that with the new technology and without having the legacy of all these older companies, there is a opportunity where you can execute on these types of things a lot, a lot faster. And that's also beneficial. And that's also the expectations for, for clients nowadays, right? Their attention span is shorter. The expectation levels are higher. Technology should be simpler. The complexity around all these kind of solutions should be moved towards the plate of the companies, not the plates of the customers anymore. And everything should be affordable. Mm-hmm. So... That is the, the new normal. And I think that, that the third wave of brokers firms are just more um, in, in, in a position to, to execute on these types of things. So, yes, I do think that these additional services, look, the, the media angle of, of Robinhood is a little bit of a question mark for me. I think it's, it's, it's a little bit far further away from 
actual financial services, but think about uh, adding like cards or something like that, uh, adding maybe payments or something like that at some point. Like all these things nowadays are are possible and are also definitely things that I would be very keen to explore. Okay, that's fantastic. And final question. Uh, I listened to another podcast where you were interviewed and early in your tenure as a CEO and it struck me as you seem to be quite well had kind of a, a dis- disciplined approach where you talked about going to the or gym or doing some exercise before going to work every day and making sure you got home in time to see the, the children at night I'm not sure when the podcast took place but I mean can you are you still as, as kind of disciplined in your approach to your, to your role and are you still enjoying it as much or you're not getting too uh, worn down by being a, a chief exec? No, look, I love my job. And uh, I think it's always important for people to, to do what they like to do. And sure, look, uh, like I said before, everything come, comes with, uh, with the good and the bad, right? And, and it's, it's, the, the, the role that I have is also a decision in the end. And look, I can always decide not to do it. Um, but I think that uh, having a well-balanced uh, body and mind approach is, is for every executive is very important. Um, and I think at some point people start need to realize that. Uh, so yes, I, I still, of course, it's 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 good that you've listened to the podcast. It's, it's of course always a personal question, but yeah, I think I always try to exercise. I always start try to spend time with my kids. Uh, I also try to make time for social events, and I like to work hard. And I think it all comes together from from a perspective of making sure that that everything is in balance. Right. Uh, so if you work out, you, you, you train your, your, your physics and your body. And if you work, then you, you use your brain and, and it's more of a mind type of approach. And I think in the end, uh, I do believe in, uh, in, in meditating a little bit sometimes and, and, you know, making sure that, that you don't overdo one specific mm-hmm. item too much. Um, yeah, you, you shouldn't overtrain yourself either. You should also work uh, completely like crazy that you fall off a cliff, right? It should all be in balance. But as long as you do the things that you like, that gives you energy, I think you're in a good place. And I can definitely say that uh, I feel I'm in a very good place. Okay, uh, Jorik, that is fantastic. We're really very appreciative uh, of you uh, taking time out to speak to us. So that's been the Tech EU FinTech podcast. If you've liked the show or not, go ahead and hit subscribe, like, rate us. We'll see you next time.